Hey, this is Chris. Don't skip ahead to the episode yet. We're conducting a listener survey of people listening to RCV clips. First-timers, long-timers, occasional listeners, anybody. Please fill out the survey linked to in the show notes for this episode to help us make RCV clips even better. Thanks! Welcome to the March 2022 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly, a member of the Resource Center, and in today's episode about budgeting for ranked choice voting elections, I will be talking with two of our staff members who are former election administrators, George Gilbert and Rosemary Blizzard. George served as the Director of Elections for Guilford County in North Carolina, a jurisdiction with over 360,000 registered voters for 25 years. Rosemary served as the election director for two counties in North Carolina, as well as working for the State Board of Elections as both the voting registration director and as a district elections technician overseeing statewide rollout of voting equipment and assisting county election offices with day-to-day administrative tasks and issues. George and Rosemary, thank you so much for joining me today. I know our listeners are excited. I guess is excited the right word for budgets to hear more about budgeting for elections as it relates to ranked choice voting. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's good to be here, Kelly. And for the comment about budgeting being fun, if you are an accounting nerd like I am, it actually was one of my favorite parts of election administration. I love it. I love it. Let's go ahead and get started uh, right at the beginning. We know that processes vary greatly across the country in most election administration tasks. But could you explain how budgeting generally works for a jurisdiction or has worked for you in the past and describe basically, you know, the typical budget preparation in your office and what are the primary things that an administrator should consider when preparing for any election cycle? After you've done your first few budgets, you realize that where you start is you start largely with the last comparable year. That is the most recent election year in which you had summer elections. You make adjustments based on what you know has changed. Sometimes it's law changes, policy changes, just growth that has taken place in your county. But I'll tell you what, I never budgeted for everything that I ended up having to do. And I never did everything I budgeted for. Keep in mind that a budget is an educated guess. It's not a predictor of what's going to happen. Yeah, I'd just like to add in. I agree with George. You start out from a similar election year. So if it's a presidential year, you pull out your last presidential year budget. Midterms, municipal, same thing. We incorporated any changes that we needed to incorporate because of law or policy changes. And in a small county like where we were, we always had a never-ending wish list. So we would throw that wish list in and, and see if it would stick sometimes, see if we could squeeze it past the budget committees. Sometimes we were successful. Sometimes we weren't. Great. You guys have outlined several things to consider when budgeting for any election, regardless of what voting method is used. But of course, we're here to talk about ranked choice voting specifically. So what impact would administering a ranked choice voting election have on your budget? So when implementing ranked choice voting, there's probably going to be two areas where your budget will be most likely impact. Some of your costs will just be adjustments to costs you already have. You're already designing ballots, you're printing them, you're mailing them. If you have your election coding done in an outside source, that may change some as well. It's going to be dependent on how many contests, candidates, and rankings you might have. 
some additional costs that you may not be budgeting for specifically would be education unique to ranked choice voting for your voters, your candidates, and your poll workers. And I will add that we have found that as you implement election after election, those kinds of costs should lessen as you get further away from implementation. And like all things in this world, you can spend as little or as much as you like, and elections are no different from anything else. I just add that in my experience, and I think Rosemary's as well, you know, we had to run a ranked choice voting election in North Carolina, which we had no idea that it was going to occur until like 88 days prior to election day. So obviously there was no budgeting that could take place. There was no supplemental budget issued or anything like that. And, you know, we just had to find ways to administer the election. We didn't have time to deal with budgeting. We had to deal with conducting the election. When it comes to budgeting, specifically ranked choice voting, by and large, it doesn't have a huge impact on budget costs. When you're first starting out, as Rosemary points out, you know, you might add some resources in certain areas personnel at the precinct, you might want a few more, you might want a little more voter education, but you don't have to spend a lot of money. A ranked choice voting election runs just pretty much like any other election. Thanks, Rosemary and George. You know, I think that's really one of the misconceptions about ranked choice voting overall is that it may be cost prohibitive to a jurisdiction to implement. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes, but is there any other advice that you would offer an election official who's implementing this method for the first time? You know, something that's free to do or that costs money to do that can help, you know, structure this so that it works within the budget. I think basically the the thing that I've tried to do, if I was doing something I'd never done before, find people that had done it and talk to those people. Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center has several of us who have conducted ranked choice voting elections, including Rosemary and me, there are numerous other jurisdictions who have run RCV elections. Some have had the luxury of budgeting for them, and others, like North Carolina and the state of Maine, did not have that luxury. But find out what's really necessary in your jurisdiction, start with that, and then you can look at what else might be desirable. As I said, both North Carolina and Maine have demonstrated that voter education in particular does not have to be expensive. And I have seen numerous jurisdictions talk about all the money they're going to have to spend on voter education. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes that's just icing on the cake, may or may not be necessary. We ran very good elections, and Maine has run very good elections with very little funds budgeted for that purpose. I agree with George. We did it with little to nothing. We recognize, especially working at the Resource Center, and I I like to think that that's part of our job and and what we can do well, is if you talk to people who have already done it, we know that every election and every jurisdiction has its own personality. So part of what we like to do is, is collect the resources from people who have already done it and then help you as an individual jurisdiction who may have an election unique to them, figure out what will work and what won't work. And what we have discovered after years of working with this is that, yes, there are some differences, but by and large, by the time River meets the road, there are more similarities in how people implement ranked choice voting than there are actual differences. I think that's important to note. We can find the similarities, even if they look a little different in each jurisdiction, there are some things that you have to do that are very similar across all states and jurisdictions. So we've talked a little bit about advice. 
Are there some pitfalls in particular to avoid when creating your budget to accommodate ranked choice voting? (laughs) You know, I think the biggest pitfall with budgeting is people too often view it as a straitjacket. As I said earlier, budgeting is not a predictor. It's a planning device. If you view your budget as a straitjacket, you're already in trouble. On the other hand, if you use it as an excuse to avoid doing something you've been instructed to do, you're not doing your job. So I think people have to view budgets as flexible. And I know in most jurisdictions, the budgeting process itself is time consuming. Sometimes you just have to make changes on the fly. So don't be afraid to do that. I mean, our job as election officials was to conduct the elections fairly and accurately and to enable the voters to cast their ballots. There were times when I had to spend money I didn't have much, and I didn't have time to go back to the Board of Commissioners and ask for additional funds. That's what you do sometimes, and straighten out the money later, because our job is to run the election. Yeah, I mean, you cannot let your budget be commanding force of how you make your decisions. There's always a way to get the job done with some careful planning and ingenuity. I mean, you got to go into an election knowing that you may have to adjust your budget. And if you've got the ability to do so, adjust it early and move on. And, And sometimes you do have to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. I tried not to do that anymore and had to, but you just sometimes didn't have a choice. We've spent much of the last year working on our flagship research project, RCV Maps. And one of the main things that we addressed in the research reports was the capability of current voting systems in a given state to process ranked choice voting contest. Some states and jurisdictions do not currently have voting system equipment in place to run an RCV election from ballot to tabulation. Can you address the elephant in the room? What can jurisdictions do about this without having to replace or upgrade voting systems, a process that's often cost prohibitive for this purpose? Well, when you spend some time with RCV maps, and I highly suggest that you do because a lot of time and blood, sweat, and tears was poured into this project, and we're very proud of it. I mean, you're going to actually end up seeing that a decent majority of jurisdictions in the United States, the completely having to replace voting equipment is not going to be required to implement RCV. There are a few, and I want to say it's across the board. But for the most part, there are quite a few jurisdictions that are ready to go and quite a few that with some secure workarounds could absolutely implement RCV. Don't automatically assume that your jurisdiction will be the very one that has to replace. Always reach out to us and we can help you figure all that out. And we're happy to help as much as we can on that because while replacing equipment is it is what it is. Equipment is expensive. It doesn't necessarily mean the death knell for implementation of RCV. When we had our election in North Carolina, it was in 2010, there really wasn't any voting equipment that was considered ranked choice voting capable. So we had to figure out how to do it with what we had. As a matter of fact, it was interesting that we discovered that our equipment had capabilities that the vendor did not even know they had. I'll be honest, when I, when we first were given the task of conducting that election, I thought we were going to be a disaster. In fact, I was quoted in the press as saying, we're going to have a train wreck in North Carolina. So the state director put me on the planning committee. That was, you know, my bad. Anyway, we didn't have a disaster, but we found ways to make it work. And the same thing has happened in other jurisdictions. In Minnesota, for instance, The state does not allow them to use uncertified equipment. 
but it has been the equipment certified yet in Minnesota to tabulate ranked choice voting. Well, they found other ways to do it. In Minneapolis, they use a spreadsheet to facilitate their tabulation process. In St. Paul, they still tabulate by hand. Even a jurisdiction the size of St. Paul, Minnesota, has found that they can pretty efficiently tabulate their elections by hand. The state of Maine, more than half the jurisdictions in the state of Maine, count ballots by hand. They were having to centralize all of their ballots in one location. Well, they found ways to do that that cost a fraction of what their original estimates were. So even when you've got what appear to be insurmountable barriers, there are almost always ways to find that you can do it, do it effectively and safely and securely. George, I wasn't quoted in the paper like you were, (laughs) but I shared a similar sentiment. You know, election directors, bless our hearts, are not necessarily known for always embracing change. But I, I would like to, it's sort of a point of pride for election administrators that sometimes we get handed mandates that are not only unfunded, but sometimes are kind of do what now? And we know we got to get our job done. We know we've got to carry off that election and we dig in and we get it done. And that is something I think everybody who has ever administered an election should be extremely proud of their ability to do that. Absolutely. And I think change is hard in any situation, you know, much less in a situation where you have some very specific processes in place, like in elections. So we've talked a little bit about the potential to use spreadsheets or to hand count RCV elections. Let's talk a little bit about a solution that we have here at the Resource Center, our software RC tab. When this project began back in 2015, Our executive director, Gary Bartlett, and I came to the conclusion that one of the biggest barriers to implementation of ranked choice voting in U.S. elections was the fact that there was no tabulation software. And tabulating a ranked choice voting election is a complex process. It's doable, but it's not simple. So we set as one of our objectives to come up with a tabulation system for ranked choice voting, an automated tabulation system. Well, we've got lucky and we've done that. (laughs) We found a group of programmers out in San Francisco who are willing to volunteer their time. And they have created a very sophisticated product called RC Tab. It is open source software and we offer it at no charge to any jurisdiction. At this point, it is capable of tabulating results from any of the major voting systems that are used in the United States the more recent versions of those. So almost nobody has a good excuse to say, I can't tabulate my results because if you have anything like a a relatively recent voting system, even if your vendor cannot tabulate your election, I would say RCTAB probably can, and it is free. Some of the vendors are charging a lot of money for their tabulation systems for ranked choice voting. So even if they have a system that could be used, Some jurisdictions have found it cost prohibitive to lease that part of the program. Well, RCTAB can probably be used instead, and it can be used at no cost. So we offer that alternative, particularly for smaller jurisdictions. Heck, it's being used by 20-something small jurisdictions out in Utah right now for that very reason. George, while we're on this topic... You know, for those those folks that may not know how these processes work to be able to use certain resources in a jurisdiction, 
Is this something that any jurisdiction can just pick up and use? Are there certification processes? What does that look like? And I know that's a big, big question, but would love to address that just a little bit. Well, we have been certified by several states. New York City used RCTAB in its recent ranked choice voting elections. We've been certified in Utah. We've been certified in Michigan. Our software has passed all relevant tests under the voluntary voting system guidelines and the the federal certification standards. Right now, the EAC does not formally certify components of voting systems. They certify whole voting systems. Since we are a component, the EAC doesn't think they can certify. But most states can certify the system, and it has been subjected to the same test that the EAC certified systems have. And we have been tested, in fact, by both of the nationally certified labs. So we've had extensive testing. New York has about as strict a certification process as any state. And RCTAB was certified for use in New York City. Just to clarify, when you're looking at certification cost, that's typically absorbed by the state rather than the local jurisdiction. Is that what I'm understanding? It's either been absorbed by the state or, in some cases, by us, the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. The local jurisdictions, in no cases, have been charged for the cost of certification, to my knowledge. And answers to some of those questions, you know, would be a very much a state-by-state, jurisdiction-by-jurisdiction answer. I just wanted to bring up two points. The RCV maps, which we mentioned earlier, also sort of identifies in each state what the current processes are as we know them to be. If you're out there listening and you're, you're curious about well, what does my state require, that's probably where I would start first is, is with your state map assessment. And the other thing I wanted to add, again, is I have used RCTAB, obviously I should be given my job, but I've used it with the mindset of an election administrator, because once an administrator, always one. And if you're a little nervous, it's more software. I don't want to deal with it. It is so user-friendly. It's almost too easy. I mean, you look at it and go, that's it. That's all I have to do. And it works beautifully every time. I have not been successful in breaking it yet. And believe me, if it can be broken, I could do it. So anybody out there that's worried about it being something they can't do or or can't handle, I can assure you it is incredibly simple. And the developers did a fantastic job making it user-friendly. And I would add that we are available at the Resource Center to assist any county in implementing and using RCTAB. We've had jurisdictions that have called on us to help them with support. We've had other jurisdictions that have simply gone online, downloaded it, and used it. But we're available to provide support at no cost to most jurisdictions. Yeah, we've done everything from a simple demo to a couple of online trainings. We've actually gone to the sites and and helped train there. And it's like everything else. We've got some jurisdictions that just, as George said, downloaded it and went on their way and a couple that needed a little extra and everything in between, and it's worked out beautifully. Fantastic. Something to note is that our staff is cross-trained in uh, many of the resources like, you know, assistance with RCV Maps, assistance with RCTAB. So no matter who you call and who you reach at the Resource Center, we can give you some help. So we've talked a lot about potential large costs associated with RCV elections. Are there any smaller or other costs that jurisdictions may incur when implementing ranked choice voting for the first time? 
Well, I mentioned this earlier, but it, it certainly never hurts to repeat it. First-time implementations are going to have costs that should be and can be absorbed as time passes. You know, as your voters get used to using RCV as an election method, the amount of very specific in-your-face voter education should lessen to a degree. You know, education is always important. We're always educating our voters, but habit in this case can be a great teacher. I just would add that, you know, generally when it comes to budget issues, small costs aren't a major issue. I think when we conducted the 2010 ranked choice voting election, we added one precinct official per precinct to assist with that voter education task. You know, when you add that up over 160 something precincts, which we had, it wasn't a small cost anymore to us. But little things do add up, but you do what you need to do. And generally somewhere in the budget, you can make an adjustment. And if I could add, George, I think if I remember correctly, some of the early research that you and Gary did indicated that the best source of education for voters tended to be at the polling place or at the point at which they got their ballot, rather than months and weeks of television commercials and radio ads. And certainly if if those are things that you're able to do financially, do them. But what it boils down to is once that ballot is in front of the voter, getting the information to them about how to market and how that ballot may be tabulated down the road is probably the best opportunity to educate. And, And that's an extra polling place official or an extra piece of paper in a ballot package in most cases. Yeah, Rosemary, I'm sure you'll remember that basically our voter education primarily in North Carolina was a one paragraph sheet of paper that we handed to each voter that came to the polling place. And the emphasis on education at the polling place, I think is important because the polling place is the only place that you know that voter needs to be educated. You can do all of this broadcast education, voter education, but the majority of the people that you're educating may not even vote. So having something simple at the polling place when you're doing something new is an important part of voter education, and it's usually fairly inexpensive. You're right, George. We didn't have anything particularly glossy or spectacular. It was it was a script, basically, that we handed to voters. And I can honestly say that the 2010 election was incredibly memorable for me, but the ranked choice voting side of it was not the memorable part. And I won't go into why it was memorable because that's a whole nother set of podcast episodes. But I bring that up to say that the actual implementation, there was a lot of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do lead up to it? But when it actually happened, it really ended up being status quo. Thanks. That's a great bit of information to know and understand. So let's get a little more specific here. Let's take a minute to discuss a hypothetical situation. The Range Choice Voting Resource Center is here to help jurisdictions with things such as understanding fiscal implications and impacts of implementing RCV in an election. So let's say that XYZ jurisdiction contacts the Resource Center about budgeting for Ranked Choice Voting election What is the process when they contact us to help them determine cost? What information is helpful and critical for us to know in order to help them? And what resources do we have that they can use to help with this process? So we're going to ask a lot of questions. And I actually just had to do this with the jurisdiction. And, you know, keep in mind that we're going to rapid fire questions, but we really don't expect there to be answers at first. We understand there may still be a lot of unknowns. But some of the questions we're going to ask, you know, what is your current setup for electing your elected officials? 
Are you at district? Are you at large? Are you staggered? Is there a particular reason why this change is being made or being considered? Are you doing it to cut out a primary? Is it the result of a lawsuit? All of these things can be questions that will give us information in order to help you. You know, if those things have already been determined, so maybe you're coming to us and you've been told you've got to do this, now go forth and do it. You know, we're going to ask about, so what are your normal methods for conducting your elections? Uh, Are you all male? Do you have early voting? Are you polling places? What kind of equipment do you have? If you're a city, do you rely on maybe a county elections office like we do in North Carolina to conduct your election or do you do it yourself? These are all things that are going to give us an idea of what has to happen. What are the steps that have to happen in order for your election to take place? And we're not just a single phone call or a single email. We can set up regular phone calls and emails. We have a couple of jurisdictions that we talk to fairly regularly, especially in the early days. And then as they get a little more comfortable, it may taper off. We can help as little or as much as you need because we don't ever want anyone to feel like they're an island unto themselves and that nobody understands what they're going through or that that there's nobody out there to help them. That's the one goal we do have is if you are implementing ranked choice voting elections, that you feel supported. And we're certainly willing to be that support system for you as much as we can. If I get a call for assistance, I'm going to refer you to Rosemary. That is quite all right. I'll be happy to take it. Well, we've said here that, you know, ranked choice voting really is not going to change, ultimately change how you do an election. And I agree 100% with that statement. So a lot of it is just building up that confidence that you can absolutely do this. This is not rocket science. It is not hard and absolutely can continue to do a really good job at administering elections in your jurisdiction, regardless of the election method. Absolutely. So along these lines or along some of the lines of the questions you might ask, it's been suggested that ranked choice voting has the potential to actually reduce costs for jurisdiction in the long run by eliminating the need for expensive and low turnout primaries and runoffs. Can you expand on that idea or give us a little bit of information about that? So I have a confession to make. I don't know that I have ever shared this publicly, but like George, when we were told that we were going to do a ranked choice voting election, I was sort of kind of like, "Mm, okay, we'll see what we can do. And as I learned more about what we called instant runoff voting at the time, ranked choice voting, and I realized that had the potential to eliminate the possibility of a second primary for us at least the way our elections are structured in North Carolina, I was 100% on board because in a second primary situation, at least where we have worked, is, you know, a couple of candidates don't get a certain percentage of the vote, then the second place candidate can request a second primary. And what a lot of the average Joe citizens don't realize is second primaries are generally less well attended by voters. But it's still the same rules. It's still potentially the same number of polling places, same number of polling place officials. You still have to have ballots. You still have to mail them. You still have to do all the things that you do in a big election. So the cost per voter goes up exponentially because you have to assume they'll all show up. And to eliminate that cost, and that was probably the midterms and presidential years were always kind of the years where I would have to really sweat going back to my budget committee because we would, you know, maybe set out to have a second primary and the budget committee during the budgeting process would be like, eh, you don't know if you're going to have one or not. And then all of a sudden we had one that we had to pay for. And it may have been cut out of our budget 
to save money at the front end of the process. So I think, in, at least personally speaking, being able to eliminate extra elections like that is certainly a fantastic way to save money for election officials who are frequently asked to do more with less. And for those jurisdictions that don't have runoffs or second primaries or things like that, you know, there's still a substantial benefit. I know the state of Maine, their primary reason for going to ranked choice voting was that they kept electing people with 35, 40% of the vote. And they wanted their elected officials to have better than 30, 35% support from the voters. And with ranked choice voting, you do get that. So not only can you eliminate some really low turnout elections, but you can also get a better gauge and a better record of widespread support for the candidates. I think that's a really important thing to note on both of those ideas. You know, ranked choice voting has so many good reasons to implement that make it worth all the budget headaches, if you have budget headaches, even with your administration. So final question. We've talked a lot about what you would say to election administrators today, and you guys have given us some really interesting things to think about and interesting advice. What do you think is the most important piece of advice that we've discussed today? Or, you know, do you have something else that you want to add that we haven't talked about today that would be an important piece of advice to give to an election administrator in the budget process? From my perspective, and we've stated this, I think, several times already, but it hurts to state it again that ranked choice voting elections are not significantly different from any other elections. So as they say in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic. I like that. You know, RCV or not, streamline your processes. Look for ways to multipurpose the resources you have access to. For example, if you need to get out word about an election coming up or a change in an election method, does your water department put out a notice on their monthly billing? Could they do that for you? I've actually seen that done and it works fine. And then like George said, there just really isn't a significant difference between methods when it comes to administering an election. Absolutely. And I I think that's definitely one of the most important things we can pull out of this discussion today. I always like to ask this at the end of our podcast. In one to three words, describe the RCV budgeting process. I'm going to use six words. Easier than it has to be. Budgeting for RCV is simply budgeting. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for joining us today and taking the time to talk about budgeting with our podcast audience. This is episode three for the year, so we're really excited to bring our monthly podcast back and um, with some really interesting topics that can help with administration across the country. We appreciate your hard work at the Resource Center. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or something we thought was just cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Renee Rojas with this month's final round. Looking for ways to help fund your jurisdiction's first ranked choice voting election? Why not apply for a grant? The federal government and private organizations, such as the Center for Tech and Civic Life, granted over $750 million in grants in the 2020 election cycle. In fact, the CTCL awarded grants to nearly 2,500 election departments across 49 states in 2020. 
While grants were not central to the 2021 and 2022 election cycles, there is currently a push to earmark an additional $5 billion in government spending for election grants to local jurisdictions in 2023. These funds can be used to modernize election equipment, train election officials, and shore up cybersecurity, which makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our March 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates, and take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. Production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website. Don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. If you have a few minutes, fill out our listener survey linked in the show notes for this episode. The survey is short and will only take a few minutes of your time. We would love to hear your feedback and ideas. Thank you. Our theme music today is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly Goss-Seacrest on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.